within the last couple of years, the Court of Queen's Bench has published these really good step-by-step guides on how to get an uncontested divorce or a joint divorce. Step-by-step designed for non-lawyers, PDFs that you can fill in the blank, step-by-step instructions, all the forms listed there that you're going to need and how to do everything. And so they've made it easier than ever to do that process without a lawyer. So I just want to say that there's no requirement that you hire a lawyer to do an uncontested divorce. You can do it yourself. to justice. I'm Heather Malarick from Merrick Law, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Evan Clark from Kahane Law. Hi, Evan. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Heather? I'm great. Thanks. And we're also joined by our special guest today, Kim McDonald. How are you, Kim? Hi, Heather. I am very well today. Thank you for asking. Super. Uh, Today, our topic is how much does it cost to divorce or separate? Um, Kim, this topic suggestion, I think, kind of arose from a conversation that we had with you. So I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about how this question or topic came up for you. Yes. So money is always on my mind for people who are... um or listen to our last video, they know that I'm involved in finance. So the numbers are really important to me and that's what I look at. And that's how I'm involved in the divorce area. When I meet with people, a lot of times I'm looking at the numbers and the numbers are a little bit scary. So where, where are people going to find money to pay for their divorce? So that's constantly something that I'm bumping up against when I'm looking at budgets and I'm seeing where people are at. And I, you know, people will ask me that question. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. How are we, how do we pay for this? What routes do we have? And I have so many uh, curiosities about how lawyers package their services and and how they deal with the cost of divorce. That that's that's like I mean this this topic is really exciting to me. I'm really excited that we're on here talking about it. I think this is probably the number one question that people have on their minds, uh, or maybe not the number one, but it's got to be at the very top in terms of how do we proceed in a divorce? Is it even possible? Can I afford? to divorce. So that's the introduction on why this idea came up. And I can't wait to get into this today. Mm. That's a really, um, I guess, interesting point that you make too, is that people, um, if they're worried about how much it's going to cost, they might might not be moving on with decisions that they want to make in their life because they're worried about the financial impact it's going to have. So, I guess in my experience, I find this a really tough question to answer, and I'm often a little admittedly reluctant to answer it, especially at the very beginning of the file. Um, So, um, Evan, I'm going to turn to you and ask you the hard question and and ask you how you answer it um, when you have a client or potential client coming in and asking you how much their divorce or separation is going to cost. Well, there's no good answer, right? There's there's a standard lawyer's answer that we give to almost every question, which is, it depends. Right. And um, it really does, because just like every person is unique and every relationship and relationship dynamic 
is unique. Um, so of course, also the way that people go about getting a divorce or a separation when the relationship breaks down, they're, they're, it's rarely kind of a cookie cutter experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the answer is it depends and, mm-hmm. and, um, depends what route they want to go and how amicable they're able to be. Can they agree on the important issues? Um, how much help do they need coming to an agreement on those issues? If they can't agree, it's more expensive. I think as a general rule, if you can't agree, the divorce is going to be more expensive. Um, I, I, sometimes you'll hear clients say that, well, I just don't want to do that on the principle of the thing. And principles are expensive as a general rule. And what I mean by that is, um, like, let's say, um, someone's asking for spousal support. This is like, it's super common that spousal support is contentious Mm -hmm. and the other person maybe their position is no way. I'm not going to pay spousal support. And as we have that conversation, if it's kind of a, well, maybe there is an entitlement, maybe there isn't an entitlement. It's not super clear one way or the other. My advice would be something to the effect of, uh, you know, depending how much the spousal support payment may be, maybe it's better to pay the spousal support than to pay me to go to court to argue about it and then still have to pay spousal support. Uh And so when someone says in that situation, it's a principle of the thing. I don't want to pay the other person's spousal support. Then it gets, it can get quite expensive. Okay. So I'm hearing maybe kind of that there's two things at play there that might go into the cost of a divorce. There's uh, process questions. So how are you going to proceed from point A to point Z to get that um, divorce or separation agreement done? But then there's some other factors as well in another column that are, um, I'm hearing sort of reasonableness of, I'm assuming everyone involved complexity of the issues um am i am i summarizing you well there yeah that's definitely those are definitely factors that go into it but i think the the biggest factor is being able to agree right and it it takes it only takes one person to make it an expensive process Right. It takes two people to agree. It only takes one person to be disagreeable or non-responsive. Um, and that can make it just a more difficult process in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I guess what if we have, um, a pretty reasonable couple of people, um, that are separating and you think we're just going to, and it's pretty reasonably reasonable to think that you're going to be able to just move forward and say, end up in a separation agreement or, or someone comes to you and says, we basically got everything figured out. We just need an agreement. Can you help us out? Or we just need that divorce judgment. Can you help us out? Um, are you, do you kind of feel comfortable giving them a range of cost? Um, yes. yeah. okay. And what do Absolutely. you tell them? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we actually publish 
on, we have a website, a web page that publishes uh, our price list for whatever we have set fees for in family. Um, so I'm cheating. I'm looking at that right now because I can't remember them off the top of my head. But um, uncontested divorces, for example, would start at $1,500. And just depending on what needs to go in there, the, the most expensive would be $2,500. Separation agreements go from $2,000 to $3,000. And um, yeah, there's a few other things on there as well. But that's yeah. kind of the price range there. But sometimes I find that when people come to talk to me, uh, they're reaching out. They they may think they're at a certain place, but they're not quite there yet. And so uh, my my personal approach is like uh, a common one I'll hear is, okay, I'm ready to go with an uncontested divorce. How much does an uncontested divorce cost? And then, you know, we'll tell them how much it costs. But the way that I start those files is always with an initial consultation. And so um, I'll get the information I need beforehand and then... They'll come and see me, uh, we'll meet over Zoom or wherever, and based on that conversation, if it turns out it's a long conversation, um, then probably they're not ready. But if they are ready, usually it's a very short conversation well, what because is, I just need to know a few details. Evan, what's Sorry, that Kim? short versus long? Is short like 20 minutes? Is short half an hour? Is short an hour? What does that mean? Yeah, that's a good question. So. In my experience, is if they're actually ready for an uncontested divorce, it only takes about a 15-minute meeting. And so I charge for my initial consultations. But if it's in that 15-minute meeting, the, what they pay for that initial consultation just goes towards the final cost of the uncontested divorce. But sometimes it's just it's not suitable for an uncontested divorce. There's a few things that need to be ironed out first. And uh, in that case, it'll be a little bit different. When you were saying before on your pricing that it was a, I think it was 2,500 or 3,000 that you said for a separation divorce, is that just for you drafting the document or is that working through any type of issues? Is, is it just paperwork? Yeah. It, for the separation agreement we're talking about, and the price was from 2,000 if it's just property up to 3000 if there's property and dealing with children, parenting, and, and spousal support or a spousal support waiver. And that is just for the agreement. That's like um, – and perhaps we can talk a little bit about kind of the different routes that a divorce can take. But this would be a situation where they've already negotiated between themselves. They've had like a kitchen table negotiation, and they've got everything. They already know. They agree. Then they bring that to me, and I turn it into a separation agreement. So what's included is preparing the document and all the background information I need for that, um, and then meeting with them to provide independent legal advice and, and supervise the correct signing. But it's a good question because sometimes that's not all that's needed. Sometimes you, you need more than just the agreement, um, and so the those would be extra fees. And that includes things like if there's a house that's changing hands, somebody needs to draft the the transfer of land and a dower release or whatever is going to go along with that transfer of land. 
And if there's complex financial disclosure that needs to happen, like a corporation or two or business that, you know, I'm going to have to spend time on navigating that and figuring out what that means, then that, of course, takes extra time and adds to things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Pen pension orders is another thing that pops up in my mind yeah. of something that might need to be, if that's part of the agreement, they might need to... Um, get an order to submit to the pension administrator, even when there's an agreement um, for the pension to split that for, for the parties. But I think Kim, your question brings up an important, it's an important question to ask because uh -huh. when people, when people are shopping around for lawyers, I think they generally approach it the way they shop around for electronics or any other service. And the way that we tend to do this as people is we look for, we compare price. And so um, you need to know what you're getting uh, what, for what they're quoting you. Mm -hmm. And some, some lawyers bill by the hour. Like, for example, Heather bills by the hour. Yeah, I do, I, yeah. I sometimes bill by the hour, but most of the time I don't. And so I'm able to because I use that model, tell them up front a little bit more exactly what it's going to cost. Heather will have a pretty good idea of how much it'll end up costing, but it'll depend on the complexity of how expensive or inexpensive it is. Um, so it's, it, it's one of the, one of the, one of the things you, that you need to do when shopping for a lawyer is more than just saying, how much is your hourly rate or how much does the divorce cost? You got to find out what you're getting. Certainly that brings up the topic where we need to do a full episode on how to shop for the right lawyer. How do you yeah. find the right person, you know, who's got the chops you're looking for? Or maybe they're, look, you know, a softer divorce. Maybe there's that type of professional you're looking for. So I think for people listening right now, I think they're probably thinking about that too now that you brought it up, Evan. How do I find the right lawyer? And then once I find them, do their, do their packaging of their costs or pay by the hour, does that work for my budget? Heather, what's, can you explain yeah. how the pay by the hour works? Yeah. So, um, I guess there's, yeah, there's kind of two different billing models. Uh, Evan had talked about the fee, this flat fee sort of, um, approach. And then, um, another traditional way of billing for lawyers is to bill by the hour. So a lawyer hour is usually, um, divided up into six minute <laughs> increments. And we keep track of the time that we spend on a client file and then bill that time time times our hourly rate um, to the client. So um, there's that part of the bill and then there's the disbursements side of the bill. So um, that's something that people, I guess, need to be aware of as well and maybe ask questions about. Um, so those are the hard costs that are associated with a file that a lawyer will um, charge back to the client. So things like court filing fees, photocopies, those kinds of things. Evan, when you um, charge uh, or when you do a flat fee, does that include the disbursements or do you charge disbursements on top of that? The flat fees that I just quoted off of our website mm -hmm. are legal fees. So that's okay. not including GST. It's not including 
disbursements. So, and that's a good point because the filing fees for divorce are, is $260 plus the, uh, a minor e-filing fee. We uh -huh. have to file everything by email right now. Uh -huh. And so, you know, that's not insignificant because if you're looking at like a, you know, a $750 bill, and then on top of that is another $265, you're over a thousand dollars. That makes, that makes a difference. Yeah. Um, they're not insignificant. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they are, yeah. I think. So kind of to get back to the question, I was just thinking about this of how much does a divorce cost? And, you know, us, you know, saying it, hey, well, it depends to give people an idea. I think the least it's going to cost if you're getting a lawyer to help, with a kind of the minimal, the smallest part of the process as possible is going to be somewhere around $1,500. I think, I think it's safe to say that that's our yeah. price anyways, for non-contested divorce where there's no children and no support being dealt with. I I'm assuming others are somewhere in that window. Mm -hmm. The most expensive, I, I don't think there's a ceiling, but I think for, for yeah. most people, it can be depending on how agreeable everyone is, you know, you could be looking at tens of thousands of dollars. So uh -huh. that kind of gives a range because uh -huh. I, I, I hate not being able to give some kind of an answer to that question. And so, I, you know, a range somewhere between $1,500 and fifteen, dollars $20,000, depending on how things go and how agreeable the parties are. Yeah. With that, that fifteen hundred, I have a question. the The fifteen hundred itself is that the part of the the getting the lawyer, the independent legal advice part of your divorce. So having a lawyer sign off that you're making good decisions and reviewed it, and and the filing fee included that two hundred and sixty dollars. Is that the packaged up fifteen hundred dollars that you're talking about? No, the fifteen hundred dollars is for an uncontested divorce. Uh, where there's no children and no support. So what that means is they don't, they're not going to deal with spousal support and there's no children. So there's no need for to dealing with any child support or parenting. They just want to get the divorce and um, they're not dealing with property is kind of ancillary to the divorce. Often they're wrapped up in the same kind of court application. But when we're talking about a non-contested divorce, it's ignoring the property. So presumably they don't have very much property or whatever it is. They've already dealt with it and it's kind of a non-issue for them. Then this is the process of getting your divorce certificate. It's, it's, um, it's called uncontested. It's kind of a misnomer because it could be contested, right? It, what, how it starts is with filing a statement of defense and then the other person doesn't reply. They don't have to do anything. Um, and then you can proceed with the uncontested divorce. You send in a package to the court and roughly two months later, you get a divorce judgment and that's, that's what's covered by the 1500. And then the disbursements are going to be 264 or something like that over that plus GST. So somewhere around $2,000 would be kind of the all inclusive fees for a very simple desk divorce. Now I just want to say as well. Within the last couple of years, the Court of Queen's Bench has published these really good step-by-step -step guides on how to get an uncontested divorce or a joint divorce. Step-by-step -step designed for non-lawyers, PDFs that you can fill in the blank, 
step-by-step -step instructions, all the forms listed there that you're going to need and how to do everything. And so they've made it easier than ever to do that process without a lawyer. So I just want to say that there's no requirement that you hire a lawyer to do an uncontested divorce. You could do it yourself. Some people are not comfortable with doing that. They don't want to screw it up. They just want to have someone else do it and be done with it. But if you want to save money and you're fine with doing something like that, the court has made it easier than ever right now. That kind of brings me to another question that I'm sure people are thinking about as well is, um, okay, so these are kind of my ranges that I can um, be expecting to pay if I seek a lawyer's help. Um, how can I, what things can I do as a client coming to you, Evan, or to me, um, what can I do myself or in advance to try and keep my costs as low as possible? Is there anything that I can do to manage that? Yes. Yes, there is, Heather. <laughs> Yay, that was the answer I was hoping for, Evan. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, a really good question because even though I do set fee billing, um, and, and what that means is generally speaking, whether or not you're getting one of these packages where we've already defined online how much they cost, I, if, if one of those processes aren't suitable, I before you, I'm hired by a client, I prepare a scope of work that shows them exactly what I'm going to do and the associated fees. But so that gives some cost certainty. They can see, okay, this is what it's going to cost. However, mm -hmm. there's also a disclaimer under there in as part of my scope of work that says, if there's work that I have to do for you, that's outside of the scope of work, I will bill that at my hourly rate. And so, um, whether it's uh, everything's by the hour or whether you're hiring me and I've done a scope of work for you. Those kinds of things can like where you're having to be billed by the hour and they're not things that are really moving your file forward can really add up. So to keep legal fees down, one of the best things that you can do is if you're going to reach out to your lawyer and you have a, a question for them that you need answered, obviously you should do that. But before you hit send, think about it, maybe sit on it for a while. See if there's any other questions you have, consolidate them all and send them all at once. Mm -hmm. And remember that um, if you want your lawyer to answer the question, then it's gonna, you're going to be incurring legal fees because now they have to stop, think about it, turn their mind to it, um, apply their training and give you a good answer. So I think kind of um, keeping the contact with your lawyer down to a minimum helps. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is doing everything that you can on your own. Some like sometimes I'm doing tasks for clients that don't do not require legal training. And sometimes like, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of the service that we provide. But certainly I would not be against my clients doing everything that they're able to do. And I just kind of help in the background. That's that for me, that's an ideal situation actually to just, I love helping clients do things on their own if they feel comfortable. So just in general, I think taking responsibility for your matter, whatever it is, doing everything you can on your own and keeping in mind, the less you put on the lawyer, the lower generally your legal fees are going to be. What do you think, Heather? Because right. 
You, yeah. It's a good question for you as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I'm kind of, uh, you know, my I'm kind of my thoughts are bouncing around a little bit that I'm thinking about um, the government of Canada, um, and I might try and search this up, but I know they recently came out with sort of a parenting plan um, web form that parents can use online, and it walks through all the big and small decisions that um, families might want to be putting their minds to. Oh, great. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I mean, if people are walking through that before they meet with their lawyer or as we go through it, and they know in advance and they're thinking about that before they come to see me or you, I think that can be really efficient. And I think it can be really end up with a really good result in the end as well, because people are thinking about that, then having some time for it instead of sitting in front of me and being like, Oh, my, my lawyer's asking me this question. I'm not sure what the answer is. I don't know what I think about what, what we, what we would do if the kid's school was going to change or something like that. So yeah, that's it. Perfect. Yeah. The, the parenting plan tool. So I'm thinking of stuff like that. I'm thinking of financial disclosure. That's a big one. Um, and I think we'll probably have another chat of a longer and more detailed chat about that, but, um, getting your finances together, organized and, um, sort of in that vein of keeping the comp like, consolidating the communication with your lawyer. If you can get as much of that stuff together and in one package to your lawyer, that minimizes the amount of organization work I'm doing um, and can really help keep fees down. Um, Kim, is that... Oh, go ahead, Evan. Another thing I just thought of, Heather, was conflict avoidance. Mm. Conflict avoidance can help. Mm -hmm. Um, High conflict... Divorces are generally, as we've already mentioned, high legal fee divorces. And I understand why conflicts happen, and and usually people feel justified in their role in the conflict. Like they want to stop being pushed around by the other party. That can be a common theme that that I've seen. But where it's a situation, for example, that's moving towards the courts, um, then – my advice to the clients is generally just avoid the conflict at all costs. Cooperate, go bend over backwards to cooperate with them, and they're, if they're being unreasonable, they're unreasonable requests. Because when we go to court, then a judge that sees these kinds of things every day will recognize if someone's being unreasonable, mm-hmm. and you will it will go better for you. And if you're getting in conflict all the time, usually I'm getting called and then I have to do something about it. And that's incurring legal fees, whether that's like deconflicting a parenting exchange or, or something of that nature. Um, yeah. So avoiding conflict, even though you may really not want to can be, uh, can help. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one for sure. Um, I feel like I'm just listing websites now. Um, on that note, um, one one fellow that I uh, direct clients to quite often, particularly when they when they feel like it's the other party that is being the one that's instigating the conflict a lot, is uh, 
he's a lawyer um, and mediator, and I think a psychologist as well by the name of Bill Eddy, E-D-D-Y, and he has a ton of um, conflict management tools. He's got books, he's got websites, but some really great, even one-sheeter sort of um, guidance on how to respond to someone who is, um, it's a conflicting, conflictual situation. So he's got like a BIF model, brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So you just respond to the information in an email, you stick to that, you say what you want, you have a nice greeting and that's it, right? You don't engage in the battle, those kinds of things. So, um, I, I often send clients those kinds of resources to help them manage the conflict on, on, from their side of, of things. Cause you can't always manage the other side, right? Sometimes you're just going to be stuck with a situation that you're stuck with, but he, there are he's ways. Got a website. To, he's got a website. He does. Yeah. Yeah. So we should, we should include that in our yeah. notes here and in the mm-hmm. show notes for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that people can come and, and click there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a hard hitting question for you too. I don't know which I don't know which of you wants to answer this, but I'm really curious about this, which means other people are going to be curious about this. So I learned quite a bit about lawyers in my time uh, working in collaborative divorce, and what I know what I know is that lawyers charge different amounts. So some lawyers. Uh, will charge, I've seen between $400 and $500. Others will be a little bit less expensive. And people might perceive, because this is the nature of humans and their relationship with money, they might perceive that the more expensive a lawyer is, the better they are at the job and the more likely you're going to get your outcome. So I'd like both of you to comment on the difference in values um, that lawyers attribute to themselves and how that impacts people's divorce. This is a great question for Heather to start with. (laughs) I I have some thoughts. I'm not copying out. I have some thoughts, but uh, Heather has just has more experience dealing with the, the the paradigm of the billable hour and that's kind of what you're driving at. So yeah, Heather. I mean, I don't think there's a perfect answer to that question, and it is a really good one. Um, I'm, I was just speaking with someone yesterday, and they mentioned that they called a Calgary lawyer and had been quoted $650 an hour. Um, and to my knowledge, that's a pretty high hourly rate if you're comparing that to to lawyers in Edmonton. And that's yeah. just a tiny little geographic difference. Um I mean, I'd say the general rule is that lawyers' hourly rate will increase with their experience. Um, and, but I don't think that experience is going to guarantee an outcome. And I think if you spoke to any or all of the most experienced family lawyers at the bar, none of them would sit down with a client and say, yeah, I've been doing this for 40 years. And that means that you're going to get what you want at the end of the day. Um, They may be a little more efficient. They may have knowledge um, in a particular area of law. So those are things I'd be looking at when I, you know, as sort of that bundle or that cluster of factors that you're thinking about when you're hiring a lawyer, those are the things I'd be looking at. So if you have a really complex 
farm situation with a family trust, <laughs> you might be looking for a lawyer that has experience in that area. And that kind of experience may just come with years, which may then come with a bit of a higher price tag on it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's another it depends lawyer answer for you, Kim. But yeah, that's what's coming up, coming to mind anyway. What yeah, are your thoughts, Evan? I, I think this kind of highlights what I think is the problem with the billable hour model. Um, I just don't, I just don't think that is the best way to to um, to gauge the value you're receiving or the value that you're delivering as a lawyer. So I was trained. I'll give them a shout out here. I was trained at a small rural firm in Onaway, Alberta, called Patriot Law. Ed and Michelle Gallagher. They have been doing set fee billing for years and years. And so I wasn't, they indoctrinated me for sure, but I, I like it. That's why I keep doing it now. <laughs> um, and basically like, so a lot of things do not matter about experience at all. They, they just don't um, like, like an uncontested divorce or, or filing divorce paperwork. It just doesn't matter. So um, a more experienced lawyer may be able to do it faster than a less experienced lawyer, but after about like a year, probably not. And what if the less experienced lawyer submits it and it bounces? They're not going to charge you for getting it done, correct? They'll just redo it. And there might be a time cost there that that uh, might be an issue, but generally those kinds of things are, are not common. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, mm -hmm. and not necessarily reflected in pay scale. I have seen um, work from lawyers who who charge, you know, in that 400 to $500, $600 an hour range. That's just not good. And I've seen work by lawyers that charge less. That is fantastic. So I just, uh, that's why I think it's terrible. I think it's a terrible model. I think it's terrible from a business perspective as well. That's kind of another conversation. But I also feel like the billable hour kind of um, does not align interests very well either with lawyer and client. So when you're doing a set fee model, generally clients want things done as quickly as possible. When you're being paid by the hour, everyone makes fun of like city workers, government workers. They're like, oh, they're getting paid by the hour. They don't care how long it takes. They don't want to work themselves out of a job. And that can apply as well to law. Now, I don't, I don't believe and I'm not saying that lawyers milk files for all they can get so they don't work themselves out of a job. If they do, that's unethical, uh -huh. to be frank. Uh -huh. So they shouldn't ever be doing that. Yeah. Um, and I know Heather doesn't do that, for example. But um, it's just that's a natural um, – what's the word for like opposite of alignment? Dis disalignment? Misalignment? It, it doesn't align, right? Naturally, it doesn't align. The interests don't, don't align because mm -hmm. the lawyer's incentive uh, financially is not to get it done as quickly as possible. There, there's if, – if anything, like at, at the best – there's just no incentive to get it quickly. It's not like they want to milk it, but they're, they're not like, I got to get this done as quickly as possible so I can get onto the next file and bill at the same hourly rate. There's no incentive. 
if you're doing set fee billing, then now the lawyer has a huge incentive to get it done as quickly as possible at a high rate of quality. Um, because the faster they get it done, the, the more profitable they are. And the faster they get it done, the, the more happy the client is. Right. So I, that's, those are some benefits that I see about the set fee billing model that I, that I employ and that I was trained on and pitfalls of the billable hour. I mean, um, it's, it, it just doesn't tell you everything that you need to know. The billable hour just does not tell you anything. It, like, if you want to see how long they've been at the bar, you can look them up and it'll tell you how, how much experience they have. Yeah, that's true. Are, so my, so when I'm thinking about this, I'm just putting myself in like, okay, I'm getting divorced and I've got the package option or the billable hour option. With the package option, what if it's more than what I need? So then I'm paying more overall than if I had just gone with the billable hour. So that's sort of what comes to my mind. Should Would I have been better off doing billable hours versus the package? Oh, you might be. You might be. But who's bearing the risk? You are bearing the risk if you go with the billable hour. If you go with a set fee billing situation, then the lawyer is bearing the risk. They're saying, well, this is how much it's going to cost. And as long as there's not other work outside the scope of work, then if I take longer to do it and it's less profitable for me, well, I'm, that's the risk that I, I took and I'm accepting. Mm. I have a curious question for you, Evan, I guess, is how often do you find um, your set fee divorces or retainers are going outside of that scope of work? Because I guess, um, you know, uh, when I'm thinking about that, I think about how many people start off as we've got a separation agreement, it's all worked out. And then two and a half years later, I'm still trying to file stuff at land titles and there's something that's gone sideways. So, you know, I, uh, and that's just honestly, just a curious question of how often you find that's going outside of those bounds. Oh, that happens all the time, but where it's a situation where the, the plan needs to change. Uh -huh. Then I create a change order, which is an updated scope of work that has uh -huh. the next steps okay. of what's going to happen. Because okay. a lot of like family law is not like real estate. Real estate, there's a transaction and yeah. it's really become commoditized. Lawyers will, will do flat fees for real estate in a different way than I do for, for family law or litigation. Because it's just there's a transaction and that's just what they charge and they just deal with that. Okay. In family law... Often, it's going to be more of a custom thing than a, just a separation agreement that's this set fee. Yeah. It's going to be something different, like negotiation. And then as, as that scope of work is completed, then there's a change order. So it kind of goes back to the first question, how much does a divorce cost? And the answer being, it depends. There's no way to tell right from the beginning, usually. Um, but I can tell you how much it's going to cost to get to the next step. Mm -hmm. And then once we get there, then I'll tell you how much it costs to get to the next step after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how much that ends up costing, just it just really depends on the situation. So yeah. the other half of that, though, is when I'm in the middle of doing a scope of work for somebody and now I'm getting questions or fastballs coming at me, I keep some some money in retainer for those types of situations so that I can act quickly for the client at my hourly rate um, and 
bill that way. That happens regularly too. Yeah. Um, okay. But I try to avoid it. I don't, it's, it's less than ideal. Right. For, for my model. Yeah. And I suppose just to throw some reassurance out there for people that are looking for lawyers, either model, um, I mean, in my billable sort of uh, framework, um, I'm doing a similar thing. I'm going to give an estimate and say, well, you know, if this is kind of where we're going, I'm thinking it's going to be about this much. Um, But if it turns out we need to bring a an application at court that wasn't foreseen, or we're going to go to special chambers. Um, I'm going to give you an estimate uh, for the cost of that work. And um, I've sometimes also done a a flat fee for something like a special chambers application and just said, I think it's going to take about this many hours, but I'll, I'll just charge you a flat fee of, of $2,000, $5,000, whatever, however involved, I think that special chambers application is going to be, and then proceed that way. So, I mean, maybe that, that's, um, something that is good for clients to have conversations with their lawyers about too, if they're open to different, billing models throughout the course of their file as it evolves and things change. I'm curious what a special chambers uh, application is. Yeah, it's an application that would go forward either with or without oral evidence. So you might file either paperwork that uh, the client signs and says, I swear this is true and submit that to the judge or both clients might come to court and speak with the judge um, under oath. And then the lawyers um, make submissions. So we argue the case to the judge and the judge makes a decision. So it's not, um, it's called special chamber. I don't know why it's called special chambers actually, but it's an interim decision or an in-between decision that one or the other parties brings to court because they can't make a decision about it, but they need something to be decided but that's not the whole package of the entire divorce. So um, uh, maybe one of the parties is moving and wants to move with the children. Maybe they can't decide on what the parenting schedule should be, um, something like that. Yeah, just to put it in the context of where it appears in the court process. So the court, if you look at the court process, it kind of thinks nothing else is going to happen, that every problem is going to be solved by going to court. And the way that generally happens is there's a statement of claim or an application that starts the whole process. And that sets out like big picture, what everybody wants. And, and then the end kind of place that that goes in the court's mind is a trial. And then a judge will make a decision. And and then that's that. So chambers is a place where in the meantime, there might be some pressing issues that need to be dealt with on an interim or in-between basis. And so it can be regular chambers, which is where it's going to be 20 minutes or less for everybody to say their piece and the judge to ask questions and make a decision. If it's going to be any longer than 20 minutes, then it's supposed to go to special chambers. Um, and so special chambers has all these very specific procedural rules. Like you've got to use you know, Arial or Times New Roman or similar fonts uh, at 12 point, Mm -hmm. uh, double spaced, Mm -hmm. no more than X pages. 
etc. etc. There's like very very specific rules about it, and this is all to help judges be efficient. But um, yeah, so that's how that's where special chambers fits in. It's anything more than 20 minutes. That's kind of a, something that needs to be decided right now before things go to trial. Because if you're booking a trial, I don't know what they're at. Do you know what they're at right now, Heather? Can uh, often be like a year yeah. away. Yeah, I think it is still, it's still definitely within that range. Yeah. And even special chambers, I booked a special chambers application the other day and it was, uh, in February, I booked it for August mm -hmm. for special chambers. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. anyways. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have a question for you guys. I was, I was thinking about this uh, the other day when I was talking with a client and she wants to pursue an initial consultation with a lawyer she doesn't want her spouse to know that she's moving along in that process. If she, I don't know if can people pay with credit cards or how, do, I don't know how people pay you guys and how do they conceal that meeting from their spouse if they want to, like I, it's come up a few times when I've been talking with people and I'm just curious if, if you guys have that question and how you work around that. Uh, it's, it's certainly, I've had that question before. So uh, a few different ways. Um, I mean, I accept e-transfers and credit cards, but it doesn't have to be the credit card of the person who's booking the consult. So um, if they, you know, want to use a friend or a family member's credit card or ask them to transfer me um, the fee for the consult, they can do that. Um, I do try and make it a practice of People don't tell me right at the outset to say, is it okay to call back this number? Is it okay to send messages? Um, that kind of thing, just so that, um, yeah, you know, the, their spouse isn't seeing Merrick Law pop up on their cell phone and they're like, why are they getting phone calls from the law firm? Um, so I guess my general answer to that would be when you're calling for a consult, let that law office know right off the bat that you, that, that, that privacy is, is a concern. Um, I mean, obviously we are all bound by confidentiality. And if the spouse was calling and saying, has Mary been to your office for a consult? I'm not even going to answer that question. I'm not going to say yes, no, or maybe I'm going to <laughs> just shut that down. Um, but it, it really doesn't hurt to the, let the lawyer or the law office know that that's something that you really want to ensure is private and what steps we can take to help make sure that that's not showing up on their bank statement or on their cell phone. Yeah. Perfect answer. Yeah. I, I mean, some, some law firms will also accept cash as well for an initial consultation. Uh, I, I accept cash. I prefer not to. It's just kind of annoying to deal with cash, but, um, yeah. you know, if, if it's a real concern and they don't have other means to pay, you know, we can usually the lawyer will help make it work. Yeah. People, let's say somebody wants to divorce. They are not the income earner in the house. They don't have the money. They feel like they don't have money. They want to pursue this. Mm. The spouse maybe says to them, I'm not going to pay for this. So now they're feeling trapped. They don't know if they can even pursue a conversation with a lawyer to get that process going because they don't have the money. They don't have family who will kick in. They don't have friends who will help. What does that scenario look like for people? Is that the legal aid journey? Is that where they go? They call it legal aid and say, I don't have money. Can you help me? What Can you guys explain that process? Well, 
first of all, if the, it, that can be a tough situation because if they're married and they have assets and one of them is going for legal aid and, and maybe Heather should answer this because she'll definitely know the mm -hmm. answer. It, the legal aid will say you're not approved because of the assets that you have in your name. Um, Edmonton Community Legal Center in Edmonton is another uh, option that can help uh, mm -hmm. at the initial stages, sometimes more, depending on the situation. There's also um, the student legal, uh, what are they, S SLS. Yeah, student legal services, Thank yeah. You. yeah. yeah. Uh, at the University of Alberta, and University of Calgary has a similar one that also helps people in, in those types of situations. But it's it's a t that's a tough situation. Some lawyers offer free consultations, mm -hmm. and others don't. Maybe that's something we can talk about as well as well, mm -hmm. why why do they mm -hmm. offer free consultations? Why doesn't everybody offer free consultations? Um, so perhaps a free consultation might be something that would benefit someone in that type of a situation. Um, Heather, what are your thoughts having with your background? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's a, it is a tough situation. And, um, you know, I think family lawyers are in high demand as well. So um, I, I think even if you've got the funds and the retainer, I think it can be difficult to find a family lawyer that's taking on new clients full stop. So you add on a financial challenge and, and it can be really difficult. So um, I don't, you know, I'm thinking to any family lawyers take, files on contingency if there's there are assets i mean i'm not aware of any but no i'm not aware of any either it seems like a trap for the unwary but yeah uh, from the lawyer's perspective um but they can now i don't think it's mm -hmm. always been the case but i think the rules changed within the last few years that mm -hmm. uh that lawyers family lawyers could theoretically mm -hmm. take mm -hmm. a family law file on contingency basis mm -hmm. i'm just not a i just nobody's told me that they're doing that i haven't heard that yeah. 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 It certainly is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess if people have wound up in my office, then they found a way somehow to do it. But I, I see a lot of parents helping out um, their adult children who are in a tough spot. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's just a difficult situation. So yeah, Heather, what do you charge for an initial consultation and, and what do you include in that? <laughs> okay. Um, I charge $250 plus GST. Um, I schedule an hour with, uh, a client, but, uh, or a potential client, but I like to chat. So sometimes I go a little over. Um, and what I include in that is I, we've mentioned on the previous episode, uh, collaborative laws and big um, passion area of mine. And one of the hallmarks of that is um, that there's not any legal strategizing. So I don't tend to give straightforward uh, legal advice at my consultations. I'll gather information. I'll explain the process um, of divorce, the issues that would have to be covered off to get to a divorce or a separation agreement. And I'll give a lot of legal information about those areas. So if there's children, I'll talk about what parenting um, would need to look, what, what bits would need to be hit for 
parent under the parenting category. I'll talk about how child support works. I'll talk about spousal support. I'll talk about property. So legal advice generally is facts, law, and then the advice is application of law to the facts. So I'm just not going to do that last step, generally speaking, in a consultation because um, I'm, I'm conscious of wanting to get to know a client's situation and also to not be strategizing or giving, getting people into positions, that kind of thing, so that they're open um, and able to go into a collaborative or a mediation sort of um, process. I'm also going to talk about process options um, and try and figure out a recommendation of what process might be best for them. So that's sort of what they can expect from me for that from that first hour. Um, if for some reason um, I might not be the right lawyer for them, I'm also going to provide them possibly with referrals to some other lawyers. Um, I'm going to follow up possibly with some resources that we've discussed, like the Bill Eddy, you know, resources, for example, or some of the websites, um, that kind of thing. How about you, Evan? I know your consultation process is a little bit different. Yeah, it is. And, and I guess before I go into it, this isn't just to like, we're hoping that, that this will provide just some context mm -hmm. when if someone's watching this mm -hmm. um, to call around. If they're calling around to other lawyers to find out, like, how much does an initial consultation cost? Yeah. Um, to give you an idea of variation that's out there, because mine is quite different from yours, Heather. So mm -hmm. um, I actually have three different options for an initial consultation, the bronze, silver, or gold cons initial consultation. Um, bronze is very valuable still. It's very, you know, it's, a, if you're in the iron age, you really want that bronze. Anyways, the, um, for all of the different levels, I start off with gathering the information as much as possible before the meeting. Um, and so we send out a questionnaire, the client fills out returns that I'm able to review before the meeting that flags any issues. If I have to do any research beforehand so that I can be prepared, then I can do that. And then uh, for the bronze meeting, it's uh, a 45 minute consultation. And so at that meeting, I'll gather a little bit more information, um, ask any questions that I've come into my mind as I've read what they provided and um, answer their, the client's questions. Provide, I also provide a summary of the law the way that you do, Heather. And then I will then apply the law to the facts of their situation as much as is possible there. Um, give them an idea of what their rights and responsibilities are in that situation and help them give them a sense for their options for next steps of what, what should happen next or what can happen next from that point on. Um, the silver initial consultation is, is up to an hour in length and it's $600 and they get um, a written summary of the advice afterwards. So they're not just getting the meeting, they're also getting it written down. And the thing that that can be really helpful for is, especially like it's an initial consultation. So often it's at the early stages of a separation or divorce. And when you have it in writing, you're getting a, a summary of the law and a little bit about how it applies to your situation. And um, you can use that when you're going to negotiate with your ex-spouse or whoever it is 
um, because now you've got something written down. You don't have to just rely on your memory. And so that's a very useful resource. And then uh, the, the gold meeting is up to 90 minutes and you get that written advice, but you also get a $300 credit. So the gold is $1,000. So they get a 90 minute meeting, the written advice, and a $300 credit towards ongoing legal services. The silver is $600. They get a one hour meeting and the written advice. And then the bronze is $400. It's a 45 minute meeting. They get legal advice at the meeting. Um, and all of those uh, obviously I prepare for beforehand. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a, a, a different structure and different kind of, um, uh, product, I guess, or service that the that a potential client's going to get out of those two different meetings. And so a third option would be where people offer a free initial consultation. And I think yeah. usually these are going to be a 30-minute meeting. Uh -huh. I think that's kind of the norm uh -huh. here in Edmonton, at least. And um, I I don't know because uh -huh. I don't I've never done free consultations, but I assume there's no prep done before the meeting. Uh -huh. They'll come and it'll be kind of an informational gathering exercise and, um, you know, maybe a, an explanation. But 30 minutes isn't very long to get into too many details. So it, it's probably that can be a really good tool, the free initial consultation for the you as a potential client to, like, get a feel for this lawyer and get a sense for, you know, if you like them or not. Uh, although how much you like them may or may not be a good criteria to hire them. I, I, you may find me very likable, but, but not like me as your lawyer and vice versa. You may find someone very not likable and, mm -hmm. uh, they may be great lawyers. So, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts or an experience with the free consultations, Heather? I, I don't really, I've, I've heard a few clients who have come in who have said, Oh, I had a consult with this person and I, or like with a lawyer and I thought it was going to get some information and they basically just told me their hourly rate and that was it. So, you know, I think there's, but I don't know that that's the case across the board. I, I'm sure that, that, that most lawyers are providing more information than that, even in a short free consult. So I think there's, I think there's huge variability in, um, in how people do their consults and just as there is in billing structures and <laughs> hourly rates and, and all of that. Yeah. And I, I don't want to disparage any lawyer that's doing free initial consultations, that's no, a perfectly no. yeah. uh, fine way to do things. Yeah. But just keep in mind that generally speaking in this life and in business, you get what you pay for. Mm. And it's not that the lawyer is saying you're going to get something more than what you're paying for. They're saying it's a free initial consultation. Yeah. It's a free consult. Sure. So keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah. And if you're paying me $400 for initial consultation, you should expect to get something a, a lot more than that 30 minute, um, where you don't get a lot of information out of it. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about your packaging, Evan, and wondering for people who have the divorce settled, they've got everything, you know, everybody's, everybody's unhappy. So we're all winning in this situation. We have an issue that comes up the next year. Maybe somebody in the relationship has a big bump in pay and the other spouse is looking for some compensation or just to revisit their disposal agreement. My curiosity with your packaging is now, can, can people come back to you for just this one issue 
And how does that work in your packaging? Like for the hourly, it's simple, right? Leave, go back to your lawyer. You're gonna, they're gonna start billing by the hour to revisit this particular scenario. For you, how does that work in your your plan structure? It depends what's what's needed. So generally speaking, if I if a client needs me to do something for them, then I prepare a scope of work. And if it's something really simple, then maybe it'll be a simple email. Like maybe I won't prepare a formal scope of work for them if it's like one little thing, like writing a letter, you know. Um, but yeah, generally it's for anything that I do, I, I, that's generally how I, I, how I do it is create a scope of work to show them I'm going to do these steps. This is the plan step by step and here's the associated fees. And if it comes to reopening uh, an agreement, I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen. I think something more common might be uh, like what you're talking about, a change in income, child support or spousal support needs to change, um, but they just not sure how to go about doing that. And the other person isn't automatically changing it. And for that type of a situation, usually the way I'm going to start out with something like that is getting in touch with the other lawyer or the other person to just in a friendly way, in a non-confrontational way to be like, hey, uh, income change, we need to update these payments. Uh, and always looking to solve that at the lowest level, which is, you know, between, if they couldn't solve it themselves, then between the lawyer or lawyers um, to kind of, because if you can solve it at that level, it's it's the most affordable. It's yeah. the least hassle. Yeah. You can enter a consent order, um, which these days can be just emailed to the court. Mm -hmm. And and then everything's all sorted out. And that's a really clean and, and affordable way to handle those types of issues. It gets more complicated when the response from the other side is non-existent or antagonistic or unreasonable. Then, you know, then there's, then there's other tools in the lawyer toolbox that can be used. That made me think about something. What if people want to save money and they only hire a lawyer on one side and not the other side? Does that happen? And yes. how does the lawyer feel about that? And and <laughs> tell me what the scenario is, because I think it probably people think about that a lot. Like, how do I cut costs? I'll just get one lawyer instead of two. You mean as a couple, they decide to do that route, Kim? Yeah, they're not, yeah. Let's say they're not really getting along. Let's say they're litigating. They're they're they they know it's not going well, but they still want to save money. Like, is that <laughs> scenario even? Like, yeah. So if they're litigating, they uh, and one person gets a lawyer, it's not because they both think like this will be the best way to do it. Um, it's when that kind of scenario more often will come up is where they they do agree mm -hmm. and they need an agreement in place and they don't want to both get a lawyer. Yeah. And where the agreement involves property or a spousal support waiver, then you can't avoid both having a lawyer at least at some point. Yeah. in in the process uh, one lawyer usually what happens is one lawyer will draft the agreement and then um, the other person will get a lawyer just for what we call independent legal advice or ILA and uh, and that's how that's dealt with but Heather do you have any thoughts on that 
Yeah, I'm kind of racking my brain. I don't think I've ever had a situation where uh, parties are in conflict and are litigating and they only get one lawyer. I mean, they may end up only getting one lawyer, but not sort of as a joint decision. Um, certainly, though, the situation that Evans alluded to is a lot more common where one person will hire the lawyer to draft the agreement and then um, the other party will go get um ILA, but yeah, if yeah, I, yeah, I, I echo Evan's comments that you both need a lawyer to have a legally binding agreement on property or a waiver of spousal support. So at some point, that second lawyer is going to get involved because one lawyer cannot give independent legal advice to two people that have opposing or potentially opposing interests, which they would in spousal support or property matters. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all that comes to mind on my side from the cost perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, I think we've scratched the surface at least and identified a lot of the factors that can go into legal costs. And um, I really hope we fleshed out the it depends answer <laughs> enough to show that um you know, that's, that's kind of the common lawyer answer, not because we want to avoid the question, but that there is a lot, there are a lot of factors that go into the answer to that question of how much is my divorce going to cost? So I think it can be helpful to kind of, if we talk for a second about what does the route to divorce look like? What are kind of the different options? And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there there can be a combination of things like processes. You can move from one, one process to another. Last time we yeah. we talked about the collaborative process and generally what that looks like. Yeah. Um, so I, the the most and we've made reference to this I think a couple times. The most the most affordable way is to is by direct negotiation, mm-hmm. and so that's where the two parties sit down and figure it out themselves, and then. If there is property or a spousal support uh, part to that, then that's going to involve, for sure, you're going to need to have an agreement um, or a, a court order. Um, agreements are generally uh, are usually helpful in that kind of a situation. Um, you mean a written agreement, Evan, in that situation? Thank you, Heather. Yes, yeah. a written okay. agreement <laughs> with independent legal advice. Yeah. Uh, if it's dealing with property, that's if you don't have that, it's not a valid agreement. Um, for us lawyers, that means a lot. For people who are not lawyers that sign an agreement, which I've seen plenty of, that may be fine for you. You just have to know that there's a there's some pretty big risks there because it's not legally binding. If it's challenged in court, it'll fail if, it, if there isn't the independent legal advice piece to that. But not to get sidetracked. So that's like one that's one route to divorce. Sit down, figure it all out, have an agreement or not, and then get the divorce, uh, go through the uncontested divorce process, uh, which you can find on the court website. What's another option besides collaborative resolution and direct negotiation, Heather? So you, one or both parties could hire lawyers to assist them in negotiating anything that they haven't resolved. So that's another pretty common way um, of coming to the, uh, or, or 
getting to the end of the divorce process. So both people would go get their own lawyers, um, say it's Evan and I, I'd get in touch with Evan. We'd have a chat about what's going on and we might have a, a four-way meeting. So that's where both lawyers and both clients sit down and, and talk about the issues that are still not agreed upon. Or Evan and I might just exchange proposals, emails, phone calls, whatever it might be between us to try and resolve the issues. And then we would put that in a written agreement. Um, in that case, we each provide advice to our clients as part of the process. And we would sign off on the agreement. Once we've got the agreement, go on to the divorce um, judgment, do the court filings and get that done. So that would be another way. Um, there's mediation as an alternative to that um, if parties can't reach an agreement. So that would be uh, going to a neutral third party who are going to help them, called a mediator, that are going to help them try and have conversations about their areas of disagreement and see if they can help them reach a resol resolution on those things. Lawyers can support in that process, or it might be a process that parties just attend on their own. And then the mediator reports back to the lawyers about what's gone on in the mediation process. So, but what are your thoughts about mediation? And I guess there's mm -hmm. a couple different styles of mediation to talk Like you can have a non-lawyer mediator mm -hmm. and you can have a lawyer mediator and okay. then, of course, there's the court-ordered um, mediation that is available to low-income parties okay. for free by the court. Okay. So can okay. you talk a little bit about each of those three? Yeah, so um, I can't think of what the guidelines are right now, but um, resolution, oh, they changed their name. I can't remember. The the family, is there RCAS now? No, they've changed family resolution services now. Um, Alberta government offers um, free of charge resolution services provided one of the parties is under a minimum, uh, I guess, maximum income threshold. So you can attend mediation with an experienced mediator that will help you uh, reach an agreement. And then they can also assist you sometimes in getting that put in, in a court order. And that can be a really effective and um, low cost alternative to hiring a mediator. If you're hiring a mediator privately, um, I mean, I'm going to, I'm hesitating before I say this, but my preference and my referrals are to usually mediators who are trained as family lawyers. And the reason for that is that there are so many things that need to be considered to go into a legally binding agreement that if they're not addressed at the mediation stage, the parties might enter into a whole bunch of agreements that sound really great and might be really great, but then they're going to go to their lawyer for independent legal advice and the lawyer is going to say, well, actually, you can't do this, and Canada Revenue Agency isn't going to allow you to direct that, and you actually aren't allowed to do that with your land title, and and then you're back to the drawing board, and you're repeating, yeah. you're wasting time and, and money. So um, that's not to say that there aren't 
there, there aren't good uh, non-family lawyer mediators out there, but that's often my preference to just sort of make sure that that person that's doing the mediation has the knowledge um, in the back of their mind when they're doing those mediations. Uh, I don't hesitate at all, Heather. I'll, I'll just say it. Make sure the make sure the mediator is a lawyer because there are complex issues involved with family law, especially where there's property and children. Um, and and if there's a lawyer that's trained as a family lawyer who's also a mediator, generally they're they're quite experienced lawyers, and they're going to make sure that the agreement that you come to is going to stand is is going to stand up. And so when you go to the lawyer to get independent legal advice about it, there's not going to be surprises. It's not going to be issues. But I've definitely seen mediated agreements where that have come across my desk where I'm like, well, this, this just isn't suitable. And then it falls apart. And now you spent money on this mediator and for what feels like nothing because you're, you feel like you're back to square one again. So I don't hesitate. I do not hesitate to say, (laughs) make sure the mediator is a family lawyer. That's my, I don't, I'm not speaking for, I don't like, yeah. I'm not speaking for Heather. Obviously she's just yeah. spoken for herself. I'm just yeah. speaking for myself mm-hmm. that I, my advice is to, if you can do mediation, do it with a lawyer. Yeah. And are they not drafting that agreement at the end? So they meet, they do the mediation, they have the legal knowledge, they draft the agreement. So they're saving money also because they don't have to get another party to draft an agreement and revisit all of the issues and, and, and go through that process. So is that not part of the cost savings too? Yeah, actually, that's a really good point, Kim. So that's a, a good question to ask mediators. Um, if you're shopping around is what they include in their mediation services. Some will provide a mediation report and give that to the parties or and or to the lawyers and let the lawyers draft the agreement. Other mediators will draft the separation agreement if they're a family lawyer. So yeah, absolutely. Um, there can be some cost savings there and also like shared costs then, right? So both parties have sat in that room and come to the agreement. Both parties are sharing in the drafting of that agreement. And then they're just going to go off and get their own legal advice from their own lawyers at the end of that process. And so I guess another one would be um, so far what we've covered is where the parties can agree. There's some mechanism to help them agree, whether it's they do it on their own, they do it with the help of a lawyer or, or lawyers, or they do it with the help of a mediator. All of those involve the two parties on their own volition agreeing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the, there's just issues that they can't agree on. And I think one that's very common or two that are very going to be very common is spousal support and parenting. Mm-hmm. Often those are things where parties just cannot, cannot come to an agreement. Um, often they can, but sometimes if there's going to be a couple issues that they just can't sort out on their own, one or both of those are going to be it. And so in that kind of a situation, in order to move on and get a decision, there needs to be a third party decision maker. And so those options are arbitration or the court. And there might be some others, but, but those are the ones that I'm familiar with. So, um, The nice thing about arbitration is that it can be tacked onto a mediation. You Mm -hmm. can have the mediator who's also an arbitrator. And so you give it the college try to be creative, explore the space and see if you can't agree on your own. And then if you can't, at the end of the day, the mediator has already heard everything. 
familiar with the facts can now make a decision as the arbitrator. And so there's some good cost savings there. You don't have to leave that process and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So that's another good reason to make sure that the mediator is a trained lawyer, family mm -hmm. law lawyer. And mm -hmm. if they're an arbitrator as well, that streamlines that process. You think that's really important when you meet with a mediator to ask them if they're an arbitrator as well? Is that is that a really important piece? If if you think you're going to go that way, yeah. Um, if you're just worried that like you're just not going to come to an agreement, then you can set it down for a med arb, mm -hmm. where everyone knows beforehand that you're going to have a time limit to come to an agreement, and if you can't, then the arbitrator is going to do it. That helps put a cost on a, a, a cap on the cost too, because yeah. you know, it gives you a little bit of certainty. Okay, it's just gonna it's just gonna go to that point. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting point is to be asking yourself, what, yeah, what happens if this process doesn't work? Um, so yeah, I think um, yeah, mediation slash arbitration is good for that because they they can make that decision then if the process doesn't work. And then the last one, of course, is court, using the court process to get decisions made. Yeah. Um, and I think we've kind of, I don't know if we need to go into that more right now, but yeah. those are kind of, that's kind of the gamut of routes to divorce mm -hmm. um, that a person can take. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to keep the fees down for your divorce, and I think everybody does, the more you can agree on together without the help of any lawyers, the, the better off you're going to be um, fees-wise. Does that answer your initial question, Heather, of how much does it cost to get divorced? <laughs> I think we've come to the conclusion that it's somewhere between 260 and uh, $100,000 or more. <laughs> so I don't know if we've failed. <laughs> But I hope we've at least um, given some tools and some information to help folks out there consider the different processes, consider the things that they might be able to do to keep their legal costs low um, and some resources out there to help them streamline their own process, whichever one that they choose and whatever lawyer or billing model or, or whatever else it is they choose to go with. And can you just one more time, Heather, say the name of that that um, person you were saying you refer people to for like um, tips on avoiding conflict and effective communication? Yeah, it's Bill Eddy, E-D-D-Y. Um, I think it's the High Conflict Institute is his um, his website. Okay. I should we'll probably sure check that. that before I set it. <laughs> we'll make sure to include a link anyways in this yeah. video. Yeah. So. Yeah, great stuff over there by him. Well, big thank you to you two for being so open and honest. I think, I, I know actually there's going to be a lot of people really curious about the information that you two have shared today. Uh, people are just looking for their options and what's out there. And today was a really good it was a really good summary of what what is happening out there, what they need to explore, and they do need to go back and think about what process they need to pursue that works best for their family. So I'm really happy with what you guys shared today. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, I, I worry that uh, sometimes, you know, that it's like 
oh, you're, you, you lawyered that question. You like answered it without giving an answer. So I'm glad to hear that, Kim, that you're, you feel like you have more information in your brain than when we started. Useful information. Great. Thank you so much, Kim, our special guest today. And thanks to my co-host, Evan. I think this was a great conversation and I can't wait to see you both next time. All right. Bye, everyone. Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Mallory Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Mallory, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Mallory, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. So was it? It is yeah.